Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, that, that was, uh, that was uh, awkward. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's happening this week, and thanks for all your love and support through this project. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I feel like it's our project, it's not just my project. And uh, my hope and dream is that uh, somehow through all of this, people uh, recognize what a great community we share and decide and desire to be a part of it or to at least be a part of some of the principles that guide us. And so um, I've been thinking about this reality of how weary we are and how weary I am and the fact that I'm asking myself to do less than I've asked myself to do in a long time doesn't alleviate the fact that somehow I feel a weariness, and I certainly believe the conflict that's going on and the political correctness that's going on has something to do with that. And I wrote a sentence uh, last week. I didn't quite get to it, I don't think, in the, you know, in the process of sharing, but, but it's been resonating with me uh, this week. And it is, I, I'm weary in a culture where we are known for our last post, our last sermon, our last conversation, instead of the content of our hearts. Instead of the sort of the body of our work. And I, I don't know about you, but that seems to me to be something that uh, puts a lot of pressure on us, and a lot of pressure on conversation, a lot of pressure on trying to express ourselves. And I think it contributes to our weariness. And, and just to illustrate that, I, I, I think you know that usually I'm writing in advance for sermons. And so several weeks ahead, I wrote this sermon several weeks ago. And I pulled it out, getting ready for the weekend. I started reading through it. And as I was reading through the points of it, I, I, I thought, wow, this is, this is really kind of snippy. It, there's, there's a lot of attitude in these words. And, and then I, as I prayed about it and thought about it, I, I, I remember that really that was not the spirit in which they were written at all. And I thought, if I can take offense at the, all, the things that I wrote on a piece of paper three weeks ago, what does that say for the level of hypersensitivity that's going on in our culture and in our world? And I, I, I'm assuming you feel it. I, I, I don't understand this. I, I feel it a lot. I feel like what we say, what we post, things that I share up here on a weekend, we need to be so very careful what we say and how we say it. Leadership is about drawing people of diverse perspectives together for a greater good. And that's kingdom value. The kingdom is made up of these incredibly diverse people who come together under one head who is Jesus Christ. And we serve together. We might be the hand, we might be the foot, we might be the eye, we might be a nose, we might be something else. But we come together in our diversity. There's no homogenization in the kingdom of God in which God zaps all of us and we become sort of this bland, vanilla, plain thing. Cheese pizza, as Eric would say it. Instead, we come in all of our diversity with all of our stuff and we bring it together in a loving way that, that synergy is created, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And it's the diversity that brings that reality to life. And we celebrate it and we think about it and we recognize it. This issue of weariness is, is not unique to us and we highlighted last week we're in good company. That as Jesus goes to his usual place and he prays and he is in anguish and he prays earnestly, 
so that sweat falls from him like great drops of blood. This is a person that is experiencing the depth of human weariness and what it feels like and looks like. And we're in good company. And Luke tells us the disciples are asleep from sorrow and we understand that stuff. And so we're thinking today, as we talked last week about the first step, the interesting thing to me when we dig into the words of Jesus is that the antidote for weariness is not what we think. And so the first step is the yoke. It's great to be woke, but it's not enough. We also have to get into the yoke and pull and do the work. And today we're talking about the test and what that means. So this is what I hope we can do right now. I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. I'm going to ask you to get quiet. Uh, maybe, you know, you're running out to get another donut or something from the kitchen, but, but just sit down, settle down, take a deep breath. I'm going to read some words from Frederick Beekner over you. And this is what I would like for you to vision, envision and think about. I want you to unclench the fists of your spirit. I want you to unclench the fists of your spirit. And I'm ripping that off from the quote from Beekner. But I really want you to just listen to these words and let them sink in. Stop trying to protect, to rescue, to judge, to manage the lives around you. Remember that the lives of others are not your business. They are their business. They are God's business. Even your own life is not your business. It also is God's business. Leave it to God. It's an astonishing thought. It can become a life-transforming thought. Unclench the fists of your spirit and take it easy. What deadens us most to God's presence within us, I think, is the inner dialogue that we are continuously engaged in with ourselves, the endless chatter of human thought. I suspect that there is nothing more crucial to true spiritual comfort than being able to, from time to time, to stop that chatter. I, I, I think it's just such an important thing for you and I to think about. Studies tell us that there are <clears throat> multiple ways in which stress impacts our lives. So I'm going to do a little stress survey with you, and, and what I want you to do is I want you to score yourself one point for every one of these that apply for you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read you some, some symptoms uh, from five different areas of life. And, uh, and then you can give yourself one point uh, for every one of these that apply to you. Just running total in your head. For those of you that are, you know, so driven, you can go get a piece of paper and a pencil or a calculator, whatever you need to do. Maybe you've already created a spreadsheet and you're going to track it this way. But here they are. Uh, from the emotional realm... Irritability, anxiety, that's number two. Depression, discouragement, frustration, mood swings, angry outbursts, hopelessness, quick temper, tearfulness, agitation. All right, so maybe you've tracked. In the physical dimension, sleep problems and headaches, 
weight changes, muscle tension, fatigue, tiredness, lethargy, increased use of alcohol or cigarettes or drugs or caffeine, restlessness, feeling keyed up or on edge, stomach problems, Uh, is your immunity low, are you easily sick, racing heartbeat, third dimension, mental, difficulty concentrating, negative outlook, blowing things out of proportion, focusing on worst case scenarios, confused thinking, Overthinking problems or obsessing, spacing out, low productivity, difficulty solving problems, what if thinking, from the relational realm, lack of interest in relationships, loneliness, intolerance of others, shutting others out, Impulsiveness, feeling misunderstood, lack of communication, isolation or avoidance from the spiritual realm, loss of meaning and direction, emptiness, cynicism, difficulty with forgiving others, apathy, doubt, a lack of connection with God. So how'd you do? Uh, I, I did one of these uh, my first semester in seminary. It was much more elaborate than this. And uh, at the end, uh, we were told, uh, you know, if you scored uh, 50 or above, uh, you're, in the, uh, you're in danger of uh, stress killing you. It's a fatal range. Uh, and I had scored, I don't know, 120 or something. Um, so uh, how'd you do? Did you score more than 20? More than 30, there's only 46, so uh, I I don't know. But I do think it illustrates the reality that something is happening inside of us. And the invitation this morning is to unclench the fists of your spirit and take it easy. And so we're thinking about what that looks like and what that means. The rabbinic tradition teaches us a lot of things. And Jesus worked within the structure of the rabbinic tradition. And so when you think about that, the rabbis all through time and still today talk to us about six areas of life, the six great works of human beings that have some effect in this life and and then have some uh, contribution to the life that is to come. And so the rabbis are saying, here's what you need to focus on. If you don't get anything else right, here are six things that really matter. Number one. Study, study, feeding the mind on healthy food that is nourishing for the soul makes a difference. It matters in this life and it matters in the life to come. It's a big issue. So let me just ask you, what do you believe you have fed your mind in the last few days? What did you feed your mind yesterday? What did you feed your mind the day before? So, so it matters. The, the rabbi said, listen, uh, you're going to need to, and I, I wish that the antidote for weariness was more naps and more rest and taking a vacation and doing less. It turns out that we have to be actively engaged. It suggests that this proactive approach to filling our hearts and our minds with something that is nourishing for our soul makes a difference. Number two, 
visit those in need. The rabbi said, there's a high value placed on caring for others who are in need. It matters to the wealth of our soul. It matters to this weariness that's going on. And it's more difficult in this time. It's a lot more difficult to reach out to others and see how they're doing. But, but even phone calls and cards, and heaven forbid we actually write a letter, uh, something besides an email, that reaching out and taking care of those in need is one of the practices that's good for us in this life and contributes to the life to come. Number three, practice hospitality. The rabbinic tradition considered hospitality at two different levels, and I want you to hear this because I think it matters. The first representation of culture of this culture was in the community, and I just want to read this to you. To fail to extend hospitality to others was to damage the image of the community, of the culture, and of the nation. It was so ingrained in the traditional view of life that failure to extend hospitality brought shame to the individual, to the home, to the culture, to the community, and to the nation. I think if we just stopped right there and we said, you know what? Are we practicing hospitality? Hospitality. When a stranger, a person with different beliefs than ours, different perspectives than ours, shows up in our realm, are we opening the door in a way in which we are extending hospitality? Because a lack of hospitality impacts the culture and the nation. The second application for the rabbis was as the individual. That, in fact, we are to be carriers of warmth and grace and winsomeness. We, we are to be people who are inviting people into a realm in which we offer them care. We are hosting others. We're hosting them at the grocery store. We're hosting them in the parking lot. We're hosting them in trying to be a part of the solution to the pandemic. We're, we're, we're hosting them in trying to be a, a part of the solution to injustice and racism. We're, we're hosting. We're not just bystanders. We're inviting people into a space that we share with them. I wonder how the tradition slipped from being a host or a hostess into a place when we, where we started to feel like we were the people who always needed to speak. We're the people who always needed to say something. It's saying something that makes us correct in our culture. It's, it's getting the right words together. The rabbi said it's about hospitality. The fourth thing they said is we need to pray. Prayer matters. Praying counts for something. If you want soul rest from weariness, then pray. Invite the Spirit in. Unclench the fists of your own spirit and allow the Spirit of God to minister, to do work. Inviting the Spirit to go ahead, to go beyond, to go into the lives of the people around us, into the circumstances, into the pain, into the confusion, into whatever's going on in our world. It's not ours to fix. We can't put it all together. We're just not that wise. So pray. The fifth thing they highlighted was this, teach. If you want to do something that matters now and you want to do something that matters in the future and into eternity, teach. Take time to pass on to others what you have learned. Take time to pass on practical knowledge. Take time to pass on philosophical thought, mystical things that, that grip your soul and give you some sense of direction and purpose in the world. 
Nothing's more clarifying to our own souls than when we attempt to engage in teaching someone else. But teaching is highly relational. You cannot teach if you overpower someone. You cannot teach if you have reduced it all to giving advice and sharing your opinion or being critical of others. That's not teaching at all. In fact, real teaching cultivates a hunger in the hearts and minds of the learner. It's highly relational. We're to teach. And let me say this. We're to teach, not pontificate. That's different. It's not the same thing. And then number six, and we'll all love this one. Think the best of others. Simple to say, little harder to do. So let me just ask you this. Do you think the best of others? Your family? Your neighbors? It's convicting for me. It's convicting for me. It's easy to slip into places of judgment and cynicism and criticism. It's one of the six things the rabbi said matter most. So Jesus comes along and Jesus is illuminating the rabbinic teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, he is following along in the rabbinic tradition. He, he has gathered around him his disciples, a rabbinic tradition. He is now teaching in, in this large gathering a tradition of the rabbinic structure. And, and the content of the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of his teachings all touching on an illumination of the rabbinic tradition. Specifically, how do you live a meaningful life now and into the future? So, so what I hear in this teaching piece is a, is a test that addresses our own weariness. So take a listen, and then there are six checkpoints that I think matter to us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged... And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs if you do. They may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So this beautiful piece of rabbinic teaching, and Jesus is inviting us to think about how we are interacting with the world around us and how we are laying up treasures in heaven. So I see six things. Number one, no ruling is required from you. This is the point that I thought was just really snippy. No ruling is required from you. And as I thought about it and prayed about it and read through the comments, I, I realized that this is what I really meant. In fact, I, I was tempted to change this point several times. Uh, but what I think I'm trying to say is unclench the fists of your spirit. You don't have to know the answer. You don't have to decide. You don't have to make it. No declaration is required from you. There's a pressure in our culture. There's a pressure in our world that you and I have to decide. We have to take a stand. We have to figure it out. Can, can I just tell you, who are we kidding? I, you and I don't know 
We don't know how to measure the complexities. We get one seat at the game. We get one place to exercise our perspective. How could we possibly think that even if the world is demanding us some declaration, how could we ever imagine that we could begin to get it right? Don't you think the most we could say is, I think this is what I think, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to grow and I'm willing to change and, and I think this is how I feel. But I used to think I felt a different way. And then I, something happened to me. And I met someone and I was in a relationship or I read a book or I, I had an encounter. And now I don't feel that way anymore. And I don't think that way anymore. Unclench the fists of your spirit. No ruling is required of you. You don't have to decide everything. You don't have to make a statement about everything you don't have to be absolutely sure you don't have to pick a side it is okay to be a student and to be in the journey and it is wearying to constantly believe that I have to decide about everything that comes up why would you and I need to decide we got talking heads on television to tell us what to think we, we, we got all kinds of people taking sides and telling us why their side is right. But it's not working. And in the kingdom of God, there is a humility that comes in this process. And you and I are invited to unclench the fists of our spirit and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Number two, our words and our thoughts are being measured. Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, it will be judged, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back. It turns out that, that it's not, that the test is, first of all, do I need to say anything at all? Do I need to make a declaration? I'm weary because I feel this responsibility. I have to decide. I have to say something. I have to pick. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's okay to say, I care about this deeply. I care about kingdom values. I care about faithfulness and gentleness and, and, and justice and mercy. I care about all of it. I care about all of it. And I don't know how to pick a side in this complex world and culture in which I live. But I do know this. I, I, I want to think of others. And I want to measure others in the way that I want to be thought about and the way I want to be judged. It's this simple thing. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Am I applying a filter to others, a judgment, a schematic, a scale, a measure that is somehow one-sided, somehow unfair? Have I labeled them and put them into a place? Listen, that is wearying to the soul. It is wearying to be adversarial to the people around us. It doesn't mean we don't stand for anything. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we don't have our convictions and our beliefs. It just means that, that we would like to understand that we have a limited perspective. And given a chance for a real conversation, we could probably understand people who see things differently than us. And, and that would help us grow. And it would help us change. And Jesus just simply says, as you're making up your mind, as you're navigating through this process, remember that the measure you use, I don't know about you, but I'd like to appeal to a higher power. <laughs> if I was going to end up having to judge myself in the final analysis, I don't want that. I want to rely on the mercy and grace of God. And if I want that for myself, I should desire that for the people around me. 
I am not required to make a declaration. And it is okay for me to simply to understand that the way I judge and the way I measure is being measured, and it counts. Number three, Jesus points out, we've got big issues. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I I love the raw translation. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust when you have a timber in your own eye? I think the crowd would have laughed, and then they would have not. They would have laughed for a minute, and then they would go, oh. So what you're saying is that I think other people have significant issues, but you're saying that might be a speck of sawdust compared to the incredibly large timber in my own eye. And don't you think that is at least a piece of the weariness? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can't see anymore. I mean, I can see, but I can't see. And here's a weird thing about getting older. Maybe this is too much to share, but, uh, you know, as you get older, things begin to grow out of your head like an old piece of fruit, you know. And you find yourself needing to, you know, pay attention, you know, to get that magnification mirror and to pull some things out because they're just things that are going on. And so I I have progressive glasses here. You know, in fact, we could have a whole discussion about trying to wear a mask and progressives because they push your glasses up and you're looking at the world through your reading lenses and you can't see anything that's going on. So that adventure of, you know, looking into the magnification through glasses would have multiple lenses and then you got a pair of tweezers to try to pluck something that probably shouldn't be growing and seen in public. Listen, it doesn't take very long till you have a headache. It doesn't take very long till you sort of, you know, swinging at the air with that process and I think that's what Jesus is talking about don't you think that at least the possibility is that you and I are looking at the world we're looking at people around us and we've got our tweezers and we're looking through our progressive lenses in a magnification mirror and we're trying to pluck little things and we're having to look around a timber in our own eye and that just wears our souls out it makes us weary and Jesus says before you get into all of that do the work. And how do we do the work? We, we, we need outside help. David expressed it this way, Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How do we get the speck out of our, the timber out of our own eye? We've got to have help. Somebody's got to come in that can see clearly. The writer of Hebrews says, The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. We invite God's word to be the mirror we hold up to ourselves. Not others, not politics, not, not, not television outlets. We, we don't do all of that. That's not measuring us. We're doing the hard work of soul cultivation. We're listening. We're changing. We're surrendering. We're humbling. We're giving up. We're letting go. We're unclenching the fists of our spirit. And we're inviting God to do this therapeutic work in us. Number four, deal with the issues. Take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Stop judging. Let the Spirit of God and the Word of God address the very real issues. It's not enough to say you got big issues. This is the next step. Do the work. Do the work. Look at the fruit of your life. 
Look at the anxiousness of your own spirit. And then allow the possibility that there are things that really, prayerful things, thoughtful things, practices. I'm going to do this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to act like this today. God, forgive me. I don't think I should have done that. I'm going to clean that up. I'm going to, I'm going to keep addressing the issues until slowly, 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 by the power of God's Spirit, there's a refining process, and the goal is that ultimately I reflect accurately the character and the grace of Jesus Christ. Number five, help others with their issues. You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He suggests we ought to go on to a place where we are willing to help others. But we do that after we've been through a humbling process. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Think of me as a fellow patient who, having checked into the hospital before you, I can show you around. We, we don't attack the world. We don't attack people who have different perspectives. We don't shout them down. We don't judge them and measure them. That is wearying to the soul. We pay attention to the plank in our own eye. We do the work to address those issues. And when we've come through that process, which changes us, you cannot honestly look at yourself. You cannot honestly go through a process of self-care and self-analysis without having grace for others. We need grace. We offer grace. Yes, we address the issues of our world. Yes, we address the issues of our culture. Yes, we stand up for things we believe in. Yes, we do this after we have approached our own issues and then we approach others with great humility. And we offer to help. We offer to help. We offer to help. This process is at the end of something, not at the beginning. And finally, number six, he says, no your audience. Just be careful what you feed because if you feed the wrong, and you may think it's priceless. <laughs> you maybe think you're throwing pearls out there, which we usually do, don't we? We wouldn't be throwing it if we didn't think it was valuable. But you better be careful because if you throw pearls before pigs, they'll turn on you. And that's not a statement about the pigs. So what Jesus is saying is, if you want to be discerning, if you want to follow this rabbinic tradition that talks about what's valuable in this life and matters in the life to come, know this. How you speak words and what you're putting out for someone else to eat better be what they're ready to eat. Because if you give them something they're not ready to eat, it will not go well. Violence may ensue. Might not be physical, it might be just emotionally, it might be a breach of relationship, it might be brokenness. That is what's happening in our culture. I don't care how you feel. I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you're ready to hear it or not. That's not your job. No declaration is required. In fact, the job is, I want to be sure you're ready. I want to be sure this is the food you need right now. Because if I offer you food you don't need right now, if I offer you the wrong food, we may have broken relationship. We may have something happen between us that is going to fracture our home. It's going to fracture our family. Listen, folks, I, I, this is not theoretical stuff. We have families that awkwardly sit together, not because they like each other anymore, but because they're supposed to. And, and they sit together awkwardly because they're supposed to, because they can't talk about anything because our world is so divided 
And we don't all see things the same way. But we are to grow up together into one head who is Christ in all of our diversity. And somehow this reality, this is a test. (laughs) The next step towards the antidote for weariness is that we stop and we go, wait a minute. Jesus has offered me something to test my thoughts and my words and how I relate to the people around me. And I, I need to take these six things and I need to ask myself over and over, am I making a declaration right now? None is required of me. Am I feeling anxious because I'm being forced to say something when I don't want to say anything? Would it be better for me to simply say, you know what, that's a tough one for me. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm praying and I'm thinking about it. And I'd I'd love to hear how you see it. What would be wrong with that kind of humility? What would be wrong with addressing the people around us with that level of respect and honor? It seems to me that that's exactly what we're invited to do and invited to be. We're going to close. I've gone a little long, and we're going to share communion as we close. I'm going to invite the band back up. And what I, what I would love this morning as we, as we sort of conclude around these thoughts is that, that this moment would be a moment of surrender. That I'm inviting you to unclench the fists of your spirit. To, to recognize again that, that we love, we feel, we think, we have opinions. But we are called first and foremost to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that's summed up in these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And who is my neighbor? Anyone who needs mercy. And to be the body of Jesus Christ, to be the embodiment of the kingdom of God is to be gracious and loving and kind and thoughtful and wise. Unclench the fists of your spirit. Let the rabbinic tradition speak a test into our lives by which we measure what we think, what we feel. Let the words of Jesus Christ become the gatekeeper to our thoughts and words, to our inner world. May it create order in us. These elements are an element of surrender. We, the feast is for His disciples, for those who have said, I, I don't want to do it on my own anymore. I need a Lord. I need a Savior. I need someone to follow. We're going to pray a simple prayer of dedication over the elements, whatever they look like across this congregation. And in doing that, we're going to pray a prayer of confession. And I pray that you would respond to the word in these moments. God, we give you thanks that you invite us into this space, this space where we can measure and think about who we are and and how we function in the world and how we fit into this great tradition this Judeo-Christian tradition that has always called us to do good in this life and to lay up treasures in heaven. And we confess that we have a hard time discerning how that works. And because we get caught up in the politics of our world and the partisanship of the culture in which we live, our souls get weary. And so in this moment, we simply confess to you. We confess to you. We unclench the fists of our spirit. 
we confess to you the judgments we've made. Maybe we've gotten smart enough to not speak them out loud, but they happened inside our hearts and minds and spirits anyway. Anger, judgment, criticism, thinking of others as less sophisticated or insightful or as smart as we are, less spiritual. It's unbecoming a follower of Jesus Christ to treat others in such a way. We confess it. We confess our sins to you. We prepare our hearts for this table. This whole experience is a confession that we need you. now as we prepare our hearts for the table we dedicate these elements to you those that are represented all across this country even across this world whatever elements have been gathered we ordain them to be in this moment the body and blood of Jesus Christ to represent for us your grace your mercy your cleansing redemptive power to wash away to redeem our lives, to forgive us and wash us clean of all unrighteousness. We dedicate them to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. And now, God, would you hear us as we gather together as one great congregation and we respond to your word through the power of these words. Hear our hearts, hear our minds, hear our spirits, and lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.